Welcome to our listeners to the ninth episode of Voltech Tech Talks. I'm joined by Shabazz Hashmi. This week we'll be discussing Apple ditching Intel processors for their own ARM architecture processors in their Mac computers. How are you doing today, Shabazz? I'm doing really well, John. This is a crazy one, isn't it? Like, this is actually one that I've been excited for. On the surface, it looks kind of bland, but it's actually the, the, the business ramifications of doing this for both Intel and, I guess, the successes that Apple will go through and the challenges. It's going to be a very, very interesting topic. I, I can't wait to get into this one with you. Absolutely. I can't wait to learn more from it. As a layman in preparation for this podcast, I learned a lot. So for our listeners, basically, Apple this year has announced the biggest change heading to its computers in 14 years, which is the transition away from Intel chips and towards their own manufactured silicon chips. There'll be a two year transition period, allowing developers ample time and forewarning of the modifications they will have to make to their apps. Apple claims that this will open up performance and increase the functionality of new innovative technologies such as the AI neural engine, high performance graphics and best in class security. And so a little bit of history, Apple made a switch from PowerPC chips to Intel in 2006 and have since then been using them. And these days as well, Apple, as well as Microsoft, are working on their own similar own brand ARM chips. So it can be expected that we see a significant drop in Intel's high degree of market dominance, which has until now experienced a near monopoly. So what are your initial thoughts when you first learnt of this yeah this is pretty crazy right this is this is insane so basically just for a bit more context for our viewers um listeners um yeah so you have these arm chips and, and these x86 intel chips and they're very similar because at the end of the day they perform the same task which is doing the computations for your device um usually arm chips are used for mobile devices uh, you see them in phones, you see them in tablets, you see them in Android phones, iPhones, Apple tablets, iPads, also known as iPads. You see these in um, watches, like the Apple Watch, smartwatches. So ARM processors have usually been a, a great way to do computation on mobile devices. Um, they usually don't produce too much heat, so you don't require the fans and all of the bulk that you would need on a big computer, right? So that's where this gets crazy, because you think about ARM and you think, okay, you're working with some portable device. And here Apple's kind of flipping everything on its head and being like, no, we're going to take these ARM chips and we're going to throw them into these new, you know, Macs. And it's like, you wonder why. And it kind of makes sense. Um, I think Intel has been promising Apple these new silicon chips based on which they actually generated this whole thin MacBook design that failed horrendously because of thermals quite frequently. Um, so Apple was coming out with this new thin MacBook and they released it and they were actually designed for these new Intel chips that hadn't actually come out yet. So they started getting a world of thermal issues and Intel kept pushing their, um, I think it was their nine nanometer processes or their seven nanometer processes further and further back, right? So now Apple's kind of being like, okay, we've waited so many years for you now. How many years do we have to wait? And just as this happens, a Apple's ARM chips are becoming faster and faster. In fact, I think they're as fast as the i7 13-inch MacBook Pro and something of the size of an iPad, you know? So you're getting this insane performance for almost no compromise. Um, and Intel, of course, 
uh, not delivering. So it makes complete sense that Apple was going to do this. Um, I think the main limiting factor here is the software, right? Um, what do you think, John? Have you actually looked into this too much with the software? It's pretty crazy, isn't it? I could not comment too specifically on the software implications, although from what I have seen, Apple have been very benevolent with regards to how they help developers to port over their software and apps to the new systems. In some cases, I've seen some articles suggesting that it enabled them to port it within five hours to the new system. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, and they've also got like, um, I think they've got this compatibility layer um, beneath ARM, um, which will allow the transition to be seamless, I believe. So I think they're calling it the Rosetta compatibility layer. You might lose some um, performance on that, but it's definitely a way forward, you know? And as you said, it's pretty easy. Um, like if Rosetta can translate these instructions over to ARM, um, it, it would be a very, very easy shift over. I think that that's where Microsoft really had the issue because think about it from a computer maker's perspective. I can, one, ARM chips are going to be much cheaper. Two, they're going to allow us to have fanless computers or very, very low fan sounding computers. Uh, they have far more, far better performance. The real limiting factor is developers haven't really coded for these. And uh, Microsoft went ahead and they... Um, released an ARM version of Windows. Um, I think they initially tried this with the Surface RT. I actually bought one of those back in the days thinking it was the future. Oh gosh, I was wrong because I'm sure no one's heard of Surface RTs. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, the, the main issue Microsoft came across is that there just weren't any apps, you know? And that's where Apple's biggest, I guess, competitive advantage is. Because if you can convert ARM instructions over to Intel instructions, suddenly your Mac can start running all of the iPhone apps. And iPhone, the iPhone App Store, the Mac App Store is one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest app stores in the world with the highest quality apps. So all of a sudden, this whole oh, I can't actually have too many apps for my system. You buy an ARM Mac, you get a million extra. You know, it's like. It's almost too good to be true, and it kind of is because you have the user interface limitations. Like, can you imagine using a, a touch app with your mouse and keyboard, John? That would be pretty crazy. Not very tactile, <laughs> is it? Yeah, that's a huge implication, isn't it? So they're going to unify the architecture of all of their machines. So you were mentioning that ARM chips are basically ideal for portable devices because of their thermal characteristics. Thermal and power, yeah. Thermal and power, yeah. So they're already active in basically anything that's not considered a laptop or a Mac, right? Uh, quite a few of them, yeah. I mean, it's not great to generalize, but ARM is the go-to architecture for even like Raspberry Pis, if I'm not wrong. These, uh, but that's another rabbit hole, which we better not get into, but yeah. Yeah, okay. So basically iOS apps will be able to natively run on Mac OS, et cetera, right? And they'll just be completely interoperable. Well, that's what Apple's trying to aim for. They're actually, um, they're been working on this layer in the middle where if you write your app once for ios you should be able to easily port it over to mac it was um it started hitting the rumor mill i think two two years ago if i'm not wrong um but now they've actually made it um easy with things like swift ui which is an easy development framework uh which is i guess it, it, they've made it easier to port these things over 
Now, I think there are already some apps on Mac. I think like the Stocks app, it's actually based on its iOS counterpart, uh, which is pretty interesting. It's actually like it, it, they're starting to make the shift over. Now, the question is, if you're on your computer, do you really want to use mobile apps, right? If you're on your MacBook, you want to obviously do some video editing. You want to do, you know, the, the real stuff, you know, the the juice. You want to you want to be able to code. You want to be able to you want to be able to Photoshop, edit. Now, and that's where it gets a bit interesting. I don't know if you heard this, but um, Adobe is trying to port over Photoshop onto iPad OS. Did you hear this? That sounds like a valid port, right? You'd think so. Like iPads are getting more and more um, profound, right? And I think they actually did it. I think they actually ended up doing it. I don't know if it's completely one-to-one uh, -one feature parity-wise, but they're definitely getting there. And like, if you can get um, Photoshop working on an ARM processor on iPad OS, imagine how easy it would be to port over to Mac, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I was struggling to think of any useful examples of apps for phones that being ported over to computers would be hugely advantageous. But I think obviously with an iPad, well, generally, I guess these days they're sort of treated like mini computers in and of themselves, right? So, but with the extra layer of tactile, yeah, yeah, tactile input with your fingers, that would be great on Photoshop, right? And like, I think the recent iPad just they were just uh, pushed out a cover for it called the Magic Keyboard, right? So I don't know if you've heard of this one before, but they've legitimately attached a trackpad onto an iPad. Really? Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's it's actually it's actually pretty crazy. So it makes it look like your iPad is floating in thin air and you actually have a keyboard on there. It's actually insane. That looks pretty nice. I know, right? So you've got like this mouse kind of thing. It's like whenever you hover over an app, it the mouse isn't a cursor. Well, there is a cursor, but when you hover over something interactable, it's like the mouse consumes the element and it like creates a shadow around it. And then you can click it. So they've definitely made some user interface changes on how they're actually handling mouse feedback. But like, it's kind of crazy because if the iPad's turning into the Mac and the Mac's turning into the iPad, I mean, surely like what's gonna, are they gonna merge them? I mean, they insist they won't merge them, but it's, it's a really interesting future. I wonder what they've got in mind. As in merge them, do you think become one sort of product line of just different sizes or something? Yeah, in essence, it's sort of happening, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, that's an interesting prospect. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Have you seen the new Mac OS? Um, so there's this new Mac OS Mojave, um, and it has like a notification pane, I think, if I'm not wrong. Actually, not Mac OS Mojave. It's called Mac OS Big Sur, my bad. Oh, yeah, the newly announced one. Yeah, so um, I don't know if um, you've seen it, uh, but if you look at their notifications pane, it's actually, it looks like iOS. It looks like it was made for touch input. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, have you seen it? I'm seeing it now. Yeah, it's actually insane. So for the people that are listening in, it's basically like you've got this big iOS kind of like control. It's basically your control center with the same tiles and all of the um it looks like it's made for fingers not for not for a mouse and keyboard and it's really got people thinking what game is apple playing here do they want to shift over like surely this stuff on a mac would be much better put on the touch bar maybe yeah that is weird another thing that instantly came to my mind upon hearing that apple was migrating to their own chips is that 
well, basically, they, they announced that for the most part, these changes were to be implemented in late 2020 and 2021 and be fully rolled out in 2022. From then on, they'll be solely using their own chips and everything. The Osborne effect, basically. So yeah, um, when people learn that in, you know, even a matter of six months, between six and 18 months, they're if they buy a new MacBook, it will be obs- well, not obsolete, but it will be dated just by virtue of having the dated chips. So for those who haven't heard of it, the Osborne effect is a social phenomenon of customers canceling or deferring orders for a currently soon to be obsolete product as an unexpected drawback of a company's announcing a future product prematurely taken directly from Wikipedia. But yeah, we've seen this phenomenon play out a number of times and just another interesting thing to consider, I guess. Yeah, but like for a software engineer, right? Or for someone who actually cares about Windows applications. If you buy an ARM Mac, I don't know if you know this, but one of the main reasons developers go for a MacBook instead of like a Windows computer is because you can run Windows on it and you can run Mac OS on it. And Mac OS is usually used for making iPhone apps and iPad apps and Mac OS apps and Windows is usually used for making Windows applications because you've got all of the software development tools on there, right? So the beauty of getting a Mac is if if you're working on a project on a Windows app, you can just use this thing called Bootcamp, which lets you run Windows on your MacBook as if it was natively running on it because it is natively running on it. It's actually supported by Apple, which is a crazy thing, right? But yeah, um, the whole idea is if you get an ARM back, a Mac, you won't get bootcamp compatibility. So I don't think they're like the Osborne effect applies, but maybe not for everyone. Yeah, that makes some sense. Yeah. And Apple is really trying to push back on this Osborne effect. They uh, they recently did an interview with this um, journalist called MKBHD. He's a YouTuber. Um, I think it was the, um, the head of the vice president of software engineering at Apple, Craig Federighi. He had a chat with this uh, journalist called Mar- Marquez Brownlee. And this journalist asked him point blank, is, is ARM going to make my Intel Macs obsolete? And they're like, no, we're expecting to give ARM I mean, and Intel, Intel specifically, long-term support. And usually when Apple means long-term support, they're talking six, seven years. That's what they usually provide on a Mac. So I don't know. I feel like they're really trying to curb it, but I don't think they're succeeding too much. Yeah. On that support period, I learned recently that basically a, an Apple product is considered vintage if it's basically between five or seven years old and beyond seven years, that's where it's started to be considered obsolete. Yeah. And they will not offer support on that anymore. That's where it's useless. So I think that, that just applies to their overall yeah. practice of... Yeah, providing tech support to these soon-to-be-dated models. And you can see it in their, um, you can even see it in their uh, customer support program called Apple Care, where you have counts of accidental damage. They're actually letting you have it as a subscription service even after your two years ends. So they're definitely trying to help consumers hold on to their devices. Um, maybe it's their shift from becoming a hardware manufacturer and just making all of their money off sen- selling expensive products to becoming a, um, a software, I guess, services company where they're actually selling stuff like Apple News, Apple Music, 
they're actually trying to make the shift over from hardware to services. So maybe that's why they really don't need their, as long as their consumers have an Apple product, that's enough for them to make regular revenue off them. That's a good insight. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, very much so. So yeah, Osborne effect, totally valid. And people are definitely going through it. But I think Apple is really trying to tell people, look, they even said they have a new Intel Mac in the works. It's coming out at the end of this year, I think. They just said we have, they said we have two or three more Intel Macs that we're working on. They're not even shifting yet. So yeah, uh, the reason they've done it so early, if you're a developer and you're writing applications for Apple, you want to have a pretty significant window to be able to shift over, you know? So I think they, the reason they announced this in the developers conference and not in a consumer conference because, is because this should not be on a consumer mindset. This should be a developer thing for now. Of course, that's not going to work. You hear Apple going, we're going to destroy our entire architecture that we've based our Macs on so far in favor for something custom and everyone's going to lose their minds, right? So it makes sense, but it, it's interesting. Were you planning on picking up a new Mac in the next year or two, Shabazz? <laughs> no. Um, I, I, I'm trying to learn how to hold on to my devices. I've always been a bit of a tech enthusiast. I go through Macs and iPads pretty fast or even phones. Um, but I feel like as time has gone, um, past, I, I realized like at the end of the day, I'm going to be using these devices for the same things. So no matter how cool it looks, you know, it doesn't really provide too much more value. Yeah. We ought to preserve them to some degree. I guess maybe if we're getting to the end of Moore's laws validity, you know, there won't be much need to continuously upgrade. Right. So yeah, Moore's law, that's an interesting one. Do you want to explain that for us? Yeah, sure. So Moore's law is an observation, not a real law, of the regularity in the advance in the number of transistors on integrated circuits, and they double approximately every two years. So the old theory of Moore's law essentially has become old news and is seemingly reaching the end of its capacity. Intel's 10 nanometer chips debuted in 2020, five years after Intel initially promised to launch the processors. Apple, however, began using seven nanometer architecture for their A12 ARM processor in 2019. So this is taken from an article, so it's subject to speculation. Just a quick correction. I think, um, I feel like Intel's first 10 nanometer um, desktop CPUs are still a year away. Oh. No, they're not out. They keep delaying it. If you look at the Intel stock, it's tanked. It's like, it's going really bad. Um, they've gone up 0.33%, but if you look at the general trend, it, it's really been on the decline. It's actually horrific uh, for the last year. And AMD has been getting the converse side of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and with Apple pulling out and everything, it's just, it's, it's not a good time for Intel. They're having PR crisis after PR crisis, inability to deliver. Um, yeah, it's and now Microsoft and Apple look like they're going on their own arm paths far, far away from Intel. So it's definitely shaking it up. And they're a big company. They've been sur supplying CPUs for years and years, like decades, actually. Intel was back from the times when Steve Jobs was thinking of creating Apple, right? They're, they're a really, really old company. So I think, yeah, it's crazy. I think they'll withstand a few minor bumps. All companies go through them. Um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting. So yeah, Moore's Law. Yeah, it looks a little grim for Intel, though, I think, because I also found some sources suggesting that they're trying to outsource production of their future models to one of their direct rivals, 
TSMC for their future planned six nanometer, five nanometer, and three nanometer models. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So I guess we're bringing up Moore's law relevant because Intel's initial promises, I think they had planned to initially release their 10 nanometer chip in 2015 or 16. Yep. <laughs> and it was just setback after setback. And as you were mentioning, they didn't gel well with the MacBook Pros and they were subject to overheating, etc. right? Yeah, it was insane. But those promises were in line with the projections for Moore's Law. So they were just trying to keep up that pace that people have been seemingly keeping up with extreme regularity over the past several decades. It's kind of a really bizarre phenomenon. Yeah, which is crazy. Do you know what nanometer AMD's um, uh, processes are running on? Like they're outperforming Intel everywhere, right? Um, what are they up to? I have no idea. The seven, yeah, yeah. So it has six, it's a seven nanometer architecture already. I don't understand how they can be so far ahead of one of their competitors like that. Right? That's, I don't think the investors understand either, hence the stock market, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually insane. So yeah, AMD was like the underdog of the whole game. And now they've reached uh, seven nanometer with TA. TSMC, like you mentioned, they're actually fabricating these on TSMC's seven nanometer processes. So it seems like they're um, they're obviously taking from Intel's biggest competitors, right? We'll have to see how Intel actually surpasses this. It's crazy. So Moore's law, I feel like it still is happening, but it's just not happening with Intel, you know? Yeah. It's it's very interesting. Yeah, seemingly so. But we are reaching a point, like how small can you make these transistors, right? How fast can you make these chips? You're getting to a point where, so how can you uh, double the amount of, um, I think, transistors on a chip when we're getting to these really, really, really small, I guess, small sizes already, these architectures? Yeah, there has to be an absolute end, right? Like we can't dig below. Yeah, you can't go subatomic, right? When we get beyond this level of magnitude, we're below one nanometer. I assume that's probably possible, but... The question is, do we need it to be slower? It's still baffling to think of the degrees of magnitude to have gotten through at this point already. Yeah, do we need it? Like, I don't know. Like, And there are other ways to scale a processor, we've learned. You can have multi-core now. You don't need to get really, really small on one core. Like, If we can start getting applications that take advantage of parallel computing and multi-core performance, you won't actually... Maybe the way to scale from here is not like make the um, make the semiconductors transistor smaller. Just shift to something different. Shift to more cores. That's what uh, AMD's done, I think. So they have seven nanometer paired with, I think, twelve cores up to way more. Actually, have you seen AMD's Threadrippers? No, I haven't. Um, so they have this performance performance uh, CPU with 32, core, 32 cores. Uh, it's the AMD um, 3970X. It's a 32 core pro uh, processor. It's uh, based on a seven nanometer architecture. It's a beast. <laughs> just the processor. Whoa, 3.3 grand. It's straight in, yeah. So just the processor alone is 3.3 grand. I don't know about you, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> tempting tempting <laughs> yeah no it's actually insane uh, i think we are f like surpassing this whole 
Moore's law thing, but then uh, from a computing perspective, like your iPhone's probably going to last you a few years and not get so like we're we're at the point where I think iPhones, well, ARM processors on like iPhones have benchmarked much faster than Macs, like the base model Macs now, right? So the question is, do we really need it? And from a hardware manufacturer's perspective, if we shift our um, if we shift over to ARM, will we actually need such frequent processor upgrades? I don't know. Could they deliver it cheaper, right? Yeah, okay. So the way to go is to just increase the cores at this point, huh? Like, that seems that seems like the way to go, right? Like, but then again, there might be a breakthrough that's about to come through that no one knows about yet, you know? Yeah, who knows what will happen. Okay. It, it, it's pretty crazy. So, but what do you think? So, why do you think... I guess there are a few other reasons that um, Apple would want to choose ARM, right? So you've got that heat. Um, you've also got the fact that they get to Apple is obsessed with control of their computers. Um, I think they kept referencing this guy. Uh, sorry, I forget his name from um, f- from like the eighties. He was like, once you have control of the hardware and the software, you're in a really good place, because then you get to control your computer and actually make it perform really, really well based on the architecture right yeah thinking about apple that's a very glaring advantage right massive like their integration with the entire app library they have a significant degree of control and i guess influence and clout with their developers exactly so i feel like there's quite a few reasons to move over to arm i think one of them is just like that integration you know you have your entire system being apple based you have a lot more control yeah it's pretty cool I guess a few other reasons for cha- choosing ARM would be battery life. Have you seen how long iPads last? Imagine having a Mac that lasts, uh, any laptop really, that's like in this chassis, we're not limited to the size of an iPad anymore. Uh, it's very feasible to have a laptop that lasts two days battery life, you know? Really? Is that how good iPads are these days? Well, iPads last like an entire day. That's what they're marketed for. Um... Let me have a look. Um, let me just become so impressive. Yeah, sorry. Um, so iPads—they're supposed to like um last an entire day. That was their biggest selling point, right? Not an iPad owner, but I'll agree with you. Yeah. So I'm just trying to look through their website right now, trying to see how long the battery life actually does last. Yeah, roughly ten hours. A full, full on usage. Yeah, full on web browsing, checking email and chatting all at the same time. It's truly impressive how far they've come. Like, I know my laptops only last me about four hours, five hours. So it's actually pretty good. And so we'd expect similar performance. Better performance than that. Better. Because think about it, we're not limited to this thin slate anymore. Right. You could have a laptop battery in there, which is far bigger than an iPad battery. I mean, it would take a lot longer to chew through that thing. A lot more wiggle room having the larger chassis. Another important thing to think about. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And you can probably cool the processors a lot better as well. If you Just think having a greater surface area, right? On the machine. Surface area. You can also throw a fan in there. If you actually do want to like throw a fan in there, overclock this chip like crazy, Get you can probably get a lot more performance out of it in a laptop chassis. I feel like Apple's really about to... Um, flip computing on its head at this point i feel like they're actually they're heading in a really really cool direction yeah this change you'd describe it as a big power play would you not yes massive so i guess 
Um, John, do you think you're contemplating getting an ARM computer now? I mean, what do you think? Do you think this is enough to sway you? What do you want out of a computer? Let's see. I don't do any, I guess, processor-intensive activities on my laptop at present. Hard to comment on whether if I had one at my disposal, that would remain the same. But I would consider getting a new MacBook Pro or even an iMac. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I mean, some people, Mac OS just isn't for them, and I respect that. I mean, I use Windows almost daily. I use Mac OS almost daily. I use Linux maybe once a week, <laughs> you know? So what's your preference? Do you have a preference? It's the right tool for the right job, right? So if you're integrating with uh, Office documentation and you need to be able to, I guess, uh, be on the same platform as your colleagues and they're all using Windows, of course you're going to have to go with, with Windows. And I'm not catastrophizing that. I think Windows is good at what it does, you know, uh, which is like enterprise um, operating system solutions. Um, but then Apple, I like for software engineering. Uh, development it just makes everything a breeze you don't really have to do much setup but then linux i mean if you're deploying something into the web right if you're publishing an application and you want everyone to be able to access it linux is kind of built for web servers in mind so i mean i think it's the right tool for the job a lot of the time and then if you just want to lie down on the couch with a mini computer in your lap and just like watch netflix while scrolling through reddit or something that's when the iPad comes in because then you've just got something really easy to hold on to, you know? Yeah. The iPad soon to be MacBook. Yeah, but it's actually getting a lot more serious. Uh, there are rumors that because of this whole ARM architecture change internally at Apple, they're trying to migrate their pro apps over to ARM. Once they do that, people are rumoring that Xcode is going to come out on ARM, which is the main iOS development kit. So you can actually start developing applications on an iPad, allegedly. One of um, the most uh, reputable leakers, John Prosser, actually tweeted this out a few months back. And he says it's almost certain to happen. And he has like a 100% accuracy rating from previous leaks. So I think we're going to see ARM processors on iPads and Macs actually get a lot further ahead. Jeepers. So fully fledged app development on iPads. I don't know how fully fledged it will be, but it'll definitely be there. Like right now, you've already got this thing called Swift Playgrounds, which is basically just a something you can type a bit of code in and see your results. But yeah, it's looking a lot, a lot closer to full app development on iPad. That's insane, isn't it? Yeah. But I think your average consumer won't be writing code. They won't be doing video processing. I feel like a lot, I, I know that um, my mom personally, she got an iPad, right? An iPad Pro. And ever since she got that, she barely touches her Mac. For your average consumer, I feel like it's just checks, checks every box, you know? The iPad, sorry. Yeah, yeah, the iPad. Like if you're just casually browsing, you're chilling. Especially with those amazing new keyboards that you displayed earlier. Yeah, yeah. The thing is that when you go into it, you don't want to have like, you don't want to go in with a crazy expectation of it's going to replace your laptop. You kind of want to learn what it does and understand it. It's a completely different beast. Um, the mouse and the mouse doesn't work as you'd expect it to all the time, but you have to kind of learn how to use it. And like I caught myself, I was back on my Mac and I was trying to use multitasking from iPad on my Mac. And I was like, wow, this is so jarring. It's like my, I've adapted to using that form of multitasking. 
that now this windowed base approach is good, but I mean, I kind of miss having that like slide over window and stuff. It's it's crazy. But yeah, it definitely shows you that there's no one right way of doing things. Yeah. And maybe people should start being a bit more open-minded to different solutions, such as our computers. Right? <laughs> Bring it full circle. Yeah, wrapping it all. Yeah, as you said, yeah. the right tool for every job. Yeah. I think they'll actually cut the cost of Apple computers as well after this. Some people are um, speculating that with this new Mac coming out, right, with ARM processors, ARM processors are a lot cheaper to make than to buy off Intel. I think that even like Apple's Apple TV has a ARM processor in it that runs in iPhones, right? And that thing's pretty cheap. Well, and I guess the vertical integration aspect of it, right? Like having less outsourcing should always be more profitable. Exactly, exactly. So they're saying that the ARM computers might actually become cheaper than the Intel computers. Wow. As well as more powerful. As well, like at that point, it's like, yeah, there's no way Intel computers will survive too long with Apple. Unless there's some critical dependency that people need in their working life, like boot camp. Surprisingly, I think I saw a figure saying that um, Apple only accounts for between 5 and 10% of Intel's revenue. I would have expected it to be much greater. Yeah. Me too. That's crazy. But they have a really small share of the computer market. Like, if you look at Apple's um, laptop share right now, let's have a look. So, PC market share, according to statistica.com, says that Apple's PC market share right now is 6.7% in quarter two of 2020. I'm similar things. So, fourth is what I'm seeing to Dell, HP, and Lenovo. Yeah, I see that as well. So, Lenovo's got the majority hp's got 24 uh dell's at 16 um and apple is at 6.7 but i guess apple's shown like they're the most profitable company or at least they recently were right so they've gone to show that market share does not equate to financial success would you say that apple is sort of a luxury machine brand yes i definitely say that i mean i don't know if it's luxury like if you think about it, you buy a HP um, or a Lenovo at like a grand um, instead of the two grand MacBook, um, it's probably going to slow down faster because the processors in there probably aren't as good, probably has less RAM. So as time passes, you'll start needing more resources um, and it might have some bloatware on there, different things. The quality won't be as good. So I feel like you'd end up replacing that computer sooner. But as we said, Apple's looking at seven years long-term support, five to seven years, right? So you might go through three Lenovo's in the time you go through one Apple. Now, of course, that doesn't happen all the time, right? Apple has known to have had um, production issues and recalls and stuff like this. But as a general rule of thumb, anecdotally, I've seen that be the case. And only the crazy tech enthusiasts keep buying new ones generally more reliable over the long term yeah exactly especially with their support programs and stuff it's pretty good they, they're usually pretty nice out of warranty as well um yeah i'm surprised to see lenovo in that first place well didn't lenovo merge with compaq maybe they didn't maybe i'm getting them mixed up in the second quarter of 2020 they accounted for 25 percent of global pc shipments well you need to remember that like as you said apple is at the price year end and your average university student who has a very limited budget wouldn't be able to shell out that much money on a computer or even like someone in a developing country they probably wouldn't have the expendable income to buy a mac even if they really wanted to right 
So it is definitely something that you need to be able to afford, but once you do afford it, it usually serves you well. You know, It's kind of like a nice car. You can get that older used car, but you'll probably have to service it quite a bit. Yeah. And you'll get seven years of tech support and warranty. Yeah, exactly. Not bad. Well, I don't think the warranty is seven years. I think the warrant, the warranty is like two to three. But when they say support, they mean that they'll help you repair, repair it and stuff. Um, but of course, you probably have to pay for it. But then I think with Apple Care, they've made it like a subscription service. So you can't actually have it last that long. But you probably have to pay a little bit every month. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's like the entire Apple ecosystem for computers for you. <laughs> really broke it down. Awesome. Yeah, well, going through all of that makes it just super apparent that this change was, I guess, inevitable. And I think it was in the works for a couple of years already with their disappointment with Intel. Definitely. You don't change architecture overnight. And Apple always, like, people would be like, hey, Apple, why aren't you releasing a new laptop? Why aren't you releasing? But if, if there's no increase in performance, Apple would have no incentive to release their new laptop. You know, if they've done some amazing hardware changes, but if Intel isn't catching up, right, they can't justify a new form factor because every time a new device comes out, the first question is how much faster is it than the old one? Yeah, you have to be able to back that up. But if you don't have that performance gain, you're kind of stuck. You can't release anything. So I feel like in doing this, Apple's kind of taken the ability to release new products back into their own hands. And they're pushing forward with that. Definitely exciting times. Super exciting. So all of these new processes will be implemented in every Apple machine from 2022 onwards. Yeah, which makes you think that that almost implies that there are going to be Apple machines released up until 2022 that won't have these in it. Which is interesting. I don't think that Intel's going to be out of the game for... Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're going to like hit the sideline. Like your average consumer is going to be like, wait, that Intel computer is more expensive and it's slower. Why would I go for it, right? Yeah. So they're probably not going to have a massive, um, like not a lot of consumers would buy it. But it doesn't mean that Apple's own silicon. Yeah, but it's still going to be offered, you know? Yeah. Might just fizzle out a little bit over time, huh? Yeah. It's crazy. I feel like they're really going to make a dent here. Um, do we know when they're first coming out with a... Is it the end of this year? I think so. I think that rumors say that they're going to probably do the lower-end devices first. Um, yeah, late 2020, according to Ming Chi Kuo, who's another very, very prominent leaker in the game. Super soon. Alrighty, Shabazz. I think, as you said, we've basically covered the entirety of the Apple ecosystem today and how relevant this huge development is do you have any final closing thoughts not really i mean the future of tech's really interesting right? we've got a lot of interesting stuff planned keen to see how the next couple of decades of computing development occurs oh i'd be keen to see the next couple of years let alone decades my friend <laughs> these things go fast they do we live in interesting times and it's cool to be able to watch them unfold as they do i know right Alrighty, it's been a pleasure, Shabazz. It's been a pleasure, John. And to our listeners, thank you kindly for bearing with us and have a lovely day. Have a wonderful day.